0: what are we trying to do here at One Life City Church? It is we're trying to be a multicultural community. That's our goal. We want to be committed, embedded to the Word of God, and we want to journey together. We want to accompany one another in a really intentional way, um, and we want to cultivate justice, peace, shalom, jubilee, and um, so like so stoked about unpacking these things, and I don't know, um, some of you may recall, but when Vanessa shared this, uh, and then and, 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 Jay shared this a while back. Like we, um, the story of how this came is two two years ago. We 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 were like, hey, we should probably be like articulate some of our vision stuff together. So we sat down and there was this process, and we we, we got this set of values uh, for our church, and out of that values came this like this overarching overview statement, and it just happened to be that this this overview statement was like, this is really what we're trying to do. So last year, uh, this I feel like this is really like leading of the spirit. where are like, hey, we had some other like we had a strategic plan, planned, and so we're in that process. And in that process, we're unpacking this overview statement. We're like, hey, this is this is this feels like this is it. Um, and it was, and I and I love how Vanessa described this, Like the, even the process of meeting together around a table discussing this, it was, really felt like an act of worship and prayer. And we were wrestling with the Holy Spirit with this, um, and. So we're going to be a, we're going to be a, uh, talking about it. So next week, Pastor Jay Lee is going to talk about Word of God. Two weeks, Jay Wu is going to talk about journeying together, and Kate is going to talk about cultivating justice in shalom. So um, that's what we have coming up. So really exciting stuff. But today I get to unpack the first one, which is multi ethnic or multicultural community of believers. And when we say that, um, just because of today we're actually gonna be talking about, and there's, there's a purpose to it, we're actually gonna be talking about epiphany, epiphany. And there's a reason for that, uh, because um, one of the things that we want to do is we want to engage our faith, not in a, just kind of a, our local like church context, that's important too, but we also wanna engage our faith in a global sense, in a capital C church kind of sense. And for most of Christendom, especially in the high church context, they observe the Christian calendar or the liturgical calendar, and currently we are in the season of Epiphany. Um, well, yeah, and Epiphany is it starts 12 days after Christmas, and it ends, and and that's that is always on January 6th because it's 12 days after Christmas, and then it end, ends in on Ash Wednesday, and that changes every year because Ash Wednesday is always 46 days before Easter. And Easter changes every year because it is a, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon in the spring. Makes total sense. So that's, that's why we have Easter. And that's why it changes every year. And that's, that's the reason why. Um, and so usually on this Epiphany Sunday, the first Sunday of Epiphany, the traditional text is studying the baptism of Jesus, and which is a really important text. Um, but since we are kind of diving into and kind of d- dipping our feet into this liturgical calendar stuff, I do want to talk about the specific day of Epiphany. And in in other church, um, earlier this week, right, there was um, on the day of Epiphany there was um, Día de, de los Reyes, right, the um, the Three Kings Day, right. And so this is where the Epiphany really starts. And the, the season of Epiphany is really about just the different ways that Jesus revealed himself as the Son of God in his lifetime. So and it ends before Ash Wednesday, when culminating to the Transfiguration, where God or Jesus goes to a mountain and he prays, and he prays so intensely that like Moses and like Elijah show up, and then so that's like kind of like, and these are different ways that we see Jesus revealing himself to the people as the Son of God. But today we start off with the story of. The Magi, and that is found, specifically found in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star, it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Interesting. Interesting. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for this chi- for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him." After they had heard this, king they went out. They heard the king. They went out on their way, and the star they had seen it rose went uh, it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over. The place where the child was when they saw the star they were overjoyed on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to herod they returned to their country back in another rock and some of you, you know, we, we know this text. Usually we, we this. maybe most of us, if those of us who have grown up in church usually have probably read this around Christmas time. Um, and so most of us are familiar with this text. But there are a couple things I want to highlight before we kind of unpack this together. The first thing I want to note is that actually the Bible doesn't say anything about them being kings. And um, it doesn't say anything about also that there are three of them. So we three kings of Orient are lies okay <laughs> um and oh what interesting too like it doesn't say anything about like their complexion but i feel like every picture i've seen there's always like at least one one of the three is like black i don't know why they do that but they do that um and maybe potentially there might be there's there's an argument out there that they could have potentially came from ethiopia um but i don't think there's much evidence of that there's actually other evidence of other stuff that i'll talk about a little bit more Um, But I I feel like I'm like I'm trying to undo these images uh, because I don't I I don't feel like they're like faithful to what we see in the scripture. You know, we don't we don't see their names, we don't know their names. We're not even sure where they're from, or what cases like where the cultural expressions. You know, like what what were you know any of that. Um, And in in as I was researching, one of the things that I found was that most biblical scholars now. suggests that the Magi were probably astrologers and most likely from, and they're most likely the Chaldeans. And this is actually kind of early, an early kind of biblical kind of scholars. Um, They had this theory too, but they had an issue with the Magi being Chaldean because um, they're problematic figures at the time. And it's not just because of their historical connection with Babylon, um, but they're at the time they were widely known to practice um, cosmetology, even a uh, pseudoscience, perhaps sorcery and there's a theory that they're not specifically identified in the text because of those reasons because like oh these are some dubious figures and but but uh, but I wonder I wonder if that is indeed true, I think that makes the story even more significant, right? If there are like these like shady characters that practice like shady, Oogie-boogie stuff. Um, I think this event becomes even more significant. I feel like it deepens the expression of the gospel. I feel like it's a type of foreshadowing of the type of relationship Jesus would have with the world. Like the type of people that would be drawn to Jesus. Because let's, let's consider what we know directly from this text, okay? We know that the Magi weren't Jewish. They came somewhere from the east. They're looking for a king of the Jews. And they had very clear intent of worshiping this king. Um, And they did, they are just doing what they usually do, which is look at the stars. And they are good at it. And they saw something unique in the stars that they're like, okay, we need to do something different. There's something, we've done this most of our lives. this is our professional area of training. And this is so different and significant that we have to disrupt our normal, regular rhythm to seek out this king to seek out what's happening here and so that prompts them to go on a long journey there's they saw something in the start that the Israelites weren't even looking for at the time it wasn't until the Magi came that prompted the Israelites to look for it for themselves it disturbed their regular rhythm and so this is kind of like what I'm what I'm thinking as I'm kind of processing as I as I think about this text I think about um, some of the things that we're holding in this world think about Epiphany, and even this topic of multicultural church. First thing, it it reminds me of how God is a global God. God is a global God. It's like the children's song. He's got the whole world in his hands. And his hands are not exclusive to one nation or one people group. God's presence was not exclusive to the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. And since we've been hearing a lot about like kind of Christian nationalism lately, I feel like it's it's timely to add that God's presence is not exclusive to America. Right? God God's favor is not exclusive to white conservative Christian Americans. God is a global God. God is a God for all shades of melanin. God doesn't just wait for you to check those boxes of whatever we think we should check. For him to show up, God just does. He's a global God, and he's present on earth as it is in heaven. So what we see in this text that God draws pagan astrologers, most likely pagan astrologers, to come to worship Jesus, they didn't have to convert. They didn't need to have the right theology. God drew them just as they are. And how God drew them is also important to make note. Which brings to my second thought. God uses culture to make Jesus known. God uses culture to make Jesus known. If the Magi are indeed Chaldeans, they are most likely not practicing Jewish religion, right? But God still stirred in their hearts and minds just enough, using the gifts that they already had, which is to look at the stars and to lead them to Jesus. They didn't have a deep, they didn't have to develop a new skill set to find Jesus. They were being who they were, which are Gentile astronomers. And that led them to Jesus. Culturally, they were known to be a people group that was really good at looking stars. Their, their, their their, their, um, Their buildings have stars on them. And God used what they were already known to do well. To make Jesus known to them, I, I remember. Um, um, I remember my dad one time saying like, he, we was talking about he's he's um, he's I'm a Korean, my, my dad's from you know Korea, and he was talking about how one of the reasons why he he feels like one of the reasons why Christianity spread so quickly in in Korea is because there's already a word in Korea. Um, that's not present in many other Asian contexts, which is a Hanani, which means one God, one Lord. And so there's already a language for God. And so when the missionaries came, they're like, hey, you want to know about God? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. God, we know God. And then they, so the missionaries said, like, okay, well, let me help you explore that a little bit more. And so there's already embedded, and there's already embedded this of like searching out for God in the Korean language, in the Korean culture. God used Korean culture to make Jesus known, right? And we can talk about this on an individual level. Your unique imago Dei, right? Being, being who God created you to be. That can lead you closer to Jesus, but I think it also works culturally. Just as God left a unique imago Dei imprint on you, I believe God also leaves a unique imprint on of his DNA in ethnic and cultural contexts, and it's when we bring that to the table we can discover God in the most, a more robust robust way, where there are more expressions where there are more expressions of culture, that means that there are more. There's a deeper essence of God's presence. Remember, the Israelites weren't looking for their Messiah the israelites weren't looking for the king of the jews it was when the it was not until the gentile astronomers arrived they're like oh we need to look for it too we need each other we need our unique expressions of culture so we could help each other find jesus in our unique ways and so the mat so when i think about this when i consider this i feel like the story of the magi for me is one of the reminders that are all over scripture about why there needs to be a vision of a multicultural church and why that is essential. And I really can't emphasize that enough. Like it, it's really all over scripture. It makes me feel like if you don't see it, <laughs> I, I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder if there's a deeply embedded sin um, there. Um, but we could get into that more in another conversation. But acknowledging this—that we need multicultural churches and multicultural communities, especially for the people of God—I feel like that's one step. But to do that well, it's it's a whole nother beast. Multicultural churches don't happen by accident. It it really takes a degree of intentionality, both uh, from really just every member of its community. And um. And I, and if I could say this like with most like sincerity and kind of like trying to be humble about this (laughs) as much as I can, but I feel like we're doing okay. I feel like we're doing like, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're working at it, but I feel like we're doing okay. And as an Enneagram four, that means a lot. All right. (laughs) Um, I feel and I'm so thankful and I praise God for that. Um, a couple of months ago, um, Jay and I, we, we went to a conference, and the conference was specifically for multicultural churches, and um, it was both wonderful and heartbreaking at the same time. It, it was wonderful because like this vision of a multi, of like a multicultural church was like there and it's so present. Like people from all over the U.S. from different denominations, different generations were there. Like there was like some like I mean forefront leaders on this in like the Christian realm, in the Christendom space, you know, like engaging and dialoguing and kind of talking about the stuff. And it was like, and people were there to just learn and grow and I mean, there's like really powerful stuff and like, and they're there just pursuing this, in my opinion, a God-centered, a Christ-centered endeavor of what is it that we need more multicultural spaces in in the Christian churches of America today. And so it's like, it's really encouraging, really powerful stuff. But at the same time, it was like really heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking because like it was just a reminder like we we have so much more to do. Like it's like there's these spaces where people are having discussion, but like we still have a long way to go. Like for example, like um, we we were part of like this like we went to this like this uh, break off session for like BIPOC leaders in dominant spaces and in majority culture spaces, and the the panelists were talking about how like um they, how they they felt like they paid the price of being a bipoc leader in dominant spaces they, they talked about how they felt tokenized in, in many spaces how, how they they were hired in in these spaces to be like this face and this figure and, and given like the heavy burdensome responsibility to Make this organization or church more diverse without giving any agency or power or authority to make any significant change. And they talked about how tiring it was and how how much they want to give up and wonder how much they like wondered, is this even worth pursuing? As we pursue this vision of being a multicultural church, we, we cannot just check box when a people of certain ethnic backgrounds are coming to our church we cannot tokenize that is to strip them of their unique individual cultural imago day we can't and we cannot be um, we cannot be a healthy thriving multicultural multi-ethnic church we cannot engage in lament, repentance, and forgiveness. And I would probably say in that order. Um, because we're operating on the negative. <laughs> we can't just be like, okay, everything is clear. Okay, everything. Every, let's reset everything. We're operating on the negative. There's much that we need to build up to and then build up toward. We have a lot of lamenting, repenting, forgiveness to do. In that order, um, especially when it comes to issues of race, we have a lot to do. Especially when it comes to issues of socioeconomic disparity, we have a lot to do. There needs to be a lot of real work of reconciliation, of which I admit and confess that I have a lot of learning to do. But if we skip the lament and and repentance, I I feel like, and if we kind of jump ahead to forgiveness, I, I feel like I feel like Christianity at its worst. <laughs> Our faith at its worst is like this like quick way to alleviate guilt. So we have the tendency to like skip ahead and get to forgiveness. But that wouldn't be true grace, would it? That wouldn't be a weighty grace. That, that would be a cheap grace. And that's just not reconciliation. That's not what God is calling us to. That is not the life that Jesus had called us to. Not a cheap grace, but a deep and weighty grace. So, so let's make a deal, okay, let's, we, let's, um, and that's this, as we, as we pursue this vision, this, this goal together, um, I will bring, (laughs) I will bring my whole Korean American-ness, the messiness of all that Han, I will bring that to the table. Um, And (laughs) if you are Filipino descent, Bring your capua to the table. We need it. It makes us better as a people of God. Whatever unique cultural distinctives you have, bring it to the table. It helps us to see God. It brings us closer to Jesus. Bring your whole self, because that is a part of our Dei, that we need to see. It makes us, it brings us to the feet of Jesus bring your whole self to the table because our goal is to be a salad bowl church <laughs> I hear so many times when we talk about diverse spaces that we are a melting pot melting pot and I realize like that kind of bothers me lately melting pot means you just blur everything together you just kind of peed and in deep and just everything just kind of mush together salad bowl is you each having your unique shapes you just get chopped up a little bit You bring your whole self, you still have your borders, you still have your boundaries, and you're all smeared in the sauce of Jesus together. All right? Like... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) When I think about this, when when I think about what it means to be a multicultural church, I mean this ethnically, I mean this socioeconomically. I'm talking about that this would be a room where people who have no business being in a room together is in the same room just because of Jesus. That's the vision. That's the goal. I think that's the image of heaven that God has called us to. Any other reason, I feel like it falls short of what God has called us to when we talk about a multicultural space, a multi-ethnic space. So bring your messy self. Bring all the glory and the mess of your culture with the hope that we would be a community that has no business being in a room together other than Jesus. Now, last week, um, Dave had a set of questions um, that he wants to unpack. And the last question really stuck out with me. And the last question was this. As you look into 2023, who or how are you, or how, how, yeah, how do we anchor ourselves to heaven? How are you to anchor yourself to heaven? And so I want to end this end of this. Um, Yes, there's hope of heaven for sure. But I'm gonna mess with our eschatology a little bit, okay. (laughs) Um, I don't think heaven is just a place that we go to when we die. I think heaven is where Jesus is present. I think heaven is the kingdom of God. Thinking about Jesus' opening statement in his ministry, he says, the kingdom of God has come near. It's the merging of heaven and earth, right? That is heaven. Jesus' presence, that is heaven. It is not a place just for the afterlife. It is life now and life abundant, like this is John 10. 10. And a lot of times I feel like revelations get used like, hey, hey, this is what heaven is like. In in Revelation 21, The way heaven is described is a city, is a holy city where people of every nation, tribe, and tongue are gathered where it says that God himself will be their God, and God will be among them. When I think about our name, One Life City Church, and I think about the word city in the name of our church, I think about this think about this image. I think about this. This is the goal. This is what I'm anchoring us on. And may this vision be here on earth as it is as it, in heaven. May this anchor us. May this move us forward.